This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Belize, one of the world's great adventure destinations and a country that's created a comprehensive and common sense COVID-19 safety system for travelers. Belize might be best known for its sandy beaches and turquoise waters, but its greatest gift is actually its diversity. There may be no other place on the planet with such an incredible combination of thrilling outdoor activities, natural wonders, and unique cultural history. I know this because I experienced it myself on my own trip to Belize. I'm a water lover, so I was drawn by the exceptional snorkeling and scuba diving. The country is home to the largest reef system in the Northern Hemisphere, where there are more than 500 species of fish. I had close encounters with sea turtles and spiny lobsters and a pair of black tip reef sharks. But I had just as memorable adventures on shore, where I visited a Maya temple, explored caves with ancient artifacts, and slept in a treehouse. I also swam at the base of a waterfall and listened to howler monkeys in the rainforest. I love those guys. Today, Belize is inviting travelers to do all this and more through their new Tourism Gold Standard Program. This extensive program certifies enhanced health and safety standards of hotels, restaurants, and tour operators, so you can enjoy a reliably safe vacation. They've also created a new Belize Travel Health app to make your logistics easy and hassle-free. Thanks to all these efforts, Belize was recently awarded a safe travel stamp from the World Travel and Tourism Council in recognition of the country's enhanced health and cleanliness protocols. Learn more about how you can safely experience the wonder of Belize at TravelBelize.org. From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is The Outside Podcast. For those of us who love to ski, this season has been like no other. For one thing, we've learned to plan ahead. Due to the pandemic, most resorts aren't allowing same-day sales of lift tickets. Instead, you need to make reservations well in advance of a trip. And then, when we do get to the mountain, we're riding lifts alone and eating lunch outside, or perhaps in our car. The good news is that skiing is still awesome, and maybe it's more awesome. The restrictions on skier numbers mean that slopes aren't nearly as crowded as they have been in recent years. And while a global pandemic might not seem like the right time to be worrying about a recreational sport, for some of us, skiing isn't just a hobby. It's a way of life. This week, my colleague Robbie Carver brings us a piece about an athlete who had skiing taken away from him in the most painful fashion, but then got it back in a way he never could have imagined. This is a story about the cyborg future of downhill skiing. And like most cyborg stories, it begins with a frightening accident. My name is Jim Harris. I live in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, and I'm an artist. Jim is a photographer. And back in 2014, he was a rising star in the world of adventure, an expert skier and mountain biker who was pursuing all kinds of bold projects. He was, you know, beginning to take on sort of bigger and bigger objectives and and more ambitious kinds of expeditions and trips. That's Nick Heil, a contributing editor at Outside Magazine. He's been covering the far-out frontiers of human performance for decades and recently wrote about Jim and the trip that led to his accident. 
and he was on a trip with a couple of friends in Patagonia. They were going to do a very interesting crossing of the Patagonia ice cap. On this big suffery slog down the length of the Patagonian ice cap. So they were going to kind of do this traverse uh, utilizing these small kites that would pull them across the ice while they're wearing skis. And it wasn't something that any of us had a lot of experience in, but it seemed like for the scope of that trip, an ice cap that's known for just having horrific weather for days and days at a time, it seemed like if there are some good weather days and some favorable winds, that with a snow kite, it'd be pretty feasible to cover, you know, 50 or 70 miles in a day versus walking slowly with an 80-pound pack at, you know, a mile or a mile and a half an hour. They were in Punta Arenas down in um, South America, and they were out doing a shakeout with the equipment, and uh, Jim had this horrific accident. Mm, yeah, some of those details are a little hazy, maybe from the concussion and the, and the pain meds directly after. Yeah, and so we were out taking turns flying this, this kite in this big grassy cow pasture. As Jim was trotting along, getting a feel for the pull of the kite, an unexpected and powerful gust of wind grabbed the kite and swept him off the ground. The last thing I remember was being just a couple feet above the grass, just like I'm like picking my feet up to keep from to keep from, from dragging them. And then I was moving too fast to be able to to be able to put my feet down and, and stop myself. He swung up in the air and then impact. I think it's there's a pretty good possibility what might have happened is the kite got out really far, you know, horizontally downwind from me and almost acted like a like a big trebuchet where I flipped up and over the top and slammed down, you know, after traveling the like the outside radius of the circle um, with kind of the kite as the fulcrum. Then I went up and over and came down on the other side because I wasn't I wasn't like. 50 feet off the ground. It wasn't very high, but somehow I generated enough force to smash nine vertebrae. Who I remember trying to like kind of breathe deeply and just like staring up at the sky. I remember really quickly realizing that I was concussed of being like still lucid enough to be like, oh man, I feel really spun. This feels, this feels like not, this feels altered. Um, and then realizing I couldn't stand up and I couldn't feel anything, I couldn't move. Jim was paralyzed. His head, arms, and hands worked, but everything from his chest down was all but completely shut off. As he lay there in the field, watching the clouds, his friends rushed to help. I remember during that, during that carry, just before I got loaded, like cracking jokes and trying to add some levity to the situation. Like it seemed to me at that point, I was like, you know what? Like I'm not, I'm not dead. This could be worse. Like there's, I'm not. There's an ambulance here already. It could be a lot further out from. We could have done this in the middle of an ice cap instead. Had you had a serious injury before this? No. No, I'd been. Um, man, I joked later on that like lying in hospital bed and adding up all the days that I spent between you know outdoor education and guiding work and long personal trips and it was pretty easy to like get to a thousand days spent working in the mountains and being like cool so I'm like somewhere over a thousand days so I have like a 99.9% non-accident ratio 
but that 0.1% um, really caught up with me in a dramatic way. Jim was taken to a local hospital where the staff didn't have the equipment or training to treat his injuries. He was stuck in a bed, disoriented on painkillers, until he could be evacuated to the U.S. And then uh, maybe about 36 hours or so after being back in the States, they sliced me open and bolted, bolted five of my vertebrae together. Just because it was such a long duration from from injury to that surgery to that like nerve tissue being decompressed and finally being able to get blood flow and things again that um, there wasn't a lot of optimism that much of a recovery would be possible for me. So, you know, Jim's life, which happens in the outdoor world at times, um, you know, kind of changed in an instant. So he went from a fully able-bodied outdoor adventure photographer to a guy who was basically confined to a bed, not knowing if he would ever walk again, and sort of beginning that slow journey of rehabilitation. Still, it turns out, Jim was lucky. He was able to do small things like wiggle his toes that indicated that enough of his spinal column was intact that there was hope he could regain some mobility. A few months after his surgery, Jim became a patient at Craig Hospital in Colorado, whose methodology centered on getting patients with spinal injuries to begin rebuilding neural pathways through active use. I really hadn't had been asked to do very little for myself, and all of a sudden at Craig, people are like, cool, now you're going to like, we're going to teach you to put your put on sweatpants for yourself. And Craig had a lot of methodology for kind of building people's skill sets and ability that way. And where patients, there's an expectation that patient, patients are a very active part of their own recovery. I started having these, these kind of um, really large leaps in ability, um, just from like, you know, f certainly from week to week. And and they were just like kind of absurd things like um, like sneezing was a funny one where like get this like tickle in your nose and this like that feeling right before you know that you're going to sneeze. And then because in like that, because my diaphragm wouldn't do the thing that kind of like pushes a sneeze out, I would just be like, achoo. Like there was no force behind it, so it was like the least satisfying sneeze ever, and whatever tickle was there was still there. And then as some of as my like diaphragm maybe started to function a little bit more, then those sneezes got a little bit more forceful. I was like, oh wow, that was so good. I never thought a sneeze would feel that amazing. And a lot of it's it just like a lot of victories in in this progression towards regaining independence. It's like, can I transfer myself from a wheelchair onto a toilet and back onto the wheelchair? Or do I need somebody there helping me? And being like, you know what? Like a, like a huge upgrade to go from pooping the bed to pooping in a toilet. And then another huge upgrade to go from pooping in a toilet with someone standing right there to being like in a bathroom by yourself for the first time in a while and being like, whoa, this is, yeah, I didn't expect this was gonna feel as this moment was gonna feel zen as it does, and it sure feels very nice to have this little degree of autonomy again. Slowly, Jim began to learn to walk again. At some point I had this epiphany 
that, that I'd gotten strong enough where I could walk maybe about 50 feet with a walker. Then to ride a bike. Yeah, that was so exhilarating to be out out rolling on dirt and being able to like, you know, cruise along at five miles an hour with so much less effort than it took me to walk a quarter of a mile an hour. And finally, to do something he thought he had lost forever, to ski. But there was a problem. I can do it. I just don't have the strength, the stamina, or to, to, to last very long where I'm like, you know, I'm good for like four or five runs. Um, and then you can kind of feel my reaction time gets slower and things just get sloppier. And it's like, okay, even if I try to keep going, like this seems like it might end up badly for me. And I'm, all right, well, maybe I should just ski four runs and call it a day. And so skiing went from being a really important part of my life to something that I did less and less because it's hard to prioritize the financial cost of it when you're going to go for like two hours. That very well could have been the end of Jim's skiing life. No amount of physical therapy was going to get his body back to where he could ski anything like the way he wanted to. As far as he knew, there was nothing else to be done. What he needed was a new body, or maybe a machine that could move his body for him. Look at the It's going to show you the startup sequence. Three. Four, five. Oh, good. Cool. That's after the break. Feel a little like Sigourney Weaver and Alien. She walks out of the cargo hold. Earlier, we talked about Belize, one of the world's great adventure destinations and a country that's created a comprehensive and common sense COVID 19 safety system for travelers. When I took my own trip to Belize, my most memorable experience was exploring a cave that held ancient Maya artifacts. It was called, well, it's best if I ask someone else to pronounce it. Aktun Tonichal Muknal. That's the cave of the stone altar. It's for those who really want to seek a thrill. That's Giselle Campbell-Steffen with the Belize Tourism Board. And she's right about the thrills. It's an hour-long hike through the rainforest to the cave with a couple of stream crossings. To enter the cave, you swim across a short pool. And then once you're inside, you wear a headlamp and a helmet and there's more swimming. Once you reach into the main chamber, you're only allowed to wear socks. This is to preserve the integrity of the artifacts. Ceramic pottery, water vessels, tools, weapons. Their skeletal remains, as many as 14 have been discovered. Researchers believe the remains are from ancient sacrifices, dating back to around 1,100 years ago. Exploring the cave was one of the most exciting travel experiences I've ever had. And it was just one part of an amazing trip I took to Belize that also included exceptional snorkeling, relaxing days on a beach, great food, and very friendly people. Belize offers a remarkable variety of activities, including caves that are a lot easier to see, like the one that you float through in an inner tube. Learn more about the many adventures to be had in Belize and why the country was awarded the Safe Travel Stamp from the World Travel and Tourism Council at TravelBelize.org. For athletes who dream of returning to sports following debilitating injuries, the future may hold a range of options, some more realistic than others. One approach is to rebuild your body with a combination of transplants and stem cells and steroids, and someday it may even be possible to completely regrow a body part. 
But for decades, the most practical dream hasn't been to rebuild the body you have, but to build a stronger mechanical one around it. Basically, I'm here to announce that we're building Iron Man. That was President Obama announcing the launch of the Talos program in 2013. I'm going to blast off in a second. Talos stands for Tactical Assault Light Operator Suit. It was an attempt to create a kind of supersuit for American soldiers. But after five years, the project was junked, which is what always happens with these things. The idea of building a motorized exoskeleton for humans has been around since the 19th century. But it just hasn't worked. You know, I think the, the simplest way to understand it is that there is a, a kind of power supply problem. And that just means that, you know, the way that they've traditionally kind of created these things is to build frames out of metal or some sort of composite and then attach it to a motor and the motor would drive the appendages and that you could, you could eventually kind of refine this technology to make a machine that moves and functions like an organic creature, in this case, a human. In theory, that makes sense. In reality, it's a incredibly difficult process because you have to create so much energy to run the machine that it sort of breaks down in the, in the application of it. The problem is in the power to weight issue. Designers have built some cool looking exoskeletons, but in most cases, they weigh more than the force they produce. For example, they might do 40 pounds of work, but they weigh 60 pounds. And the handful of designs that do function somewhat effectively are so expensive that not even the military can afford them, let alone disabled or aging athletes. I actually think that when you step back and you look at the real goal of an exoskeleton, the real goal of exoskeletons is to make the real lives of real people better. Um, the number of devices that can do that in theory, forget in practice, but in theory is like sub three, uh, despite $400 million of, of you know, research between industry and government and things like that. This is Tim Swift, the founder and CEO of Rome, a San Francisco-based robotics company that may at last be ushering in a technology-assisted sports future. Before founding Rome, Tim spent 15 years as an engineer and software developer at Exobionics, where he helped build an exoskeleton that allowed paraplegics to walk upright. Though only briefly, because nobody had the money to buy one and take it home. The thing that stuck with me more than the tears and the, the hugging their family for the first time standing up in years and uh, all of these things was that at the end of every single visit, without a fail, no matter what, they sat down, uh, unstrapped the device, transferred it into their wheelchair and wheeled out the door like it never happened. Because we were offering something that was as expensive as houses in some cases. So Tim left EXO thinking he was done with exoskeletons. But then a buddy showed him some interesting new mechanisms that made use of two of the most mundane materials imaginable, fabric and air. This, he realized, might be the solution to the weight to power problem in a motorized exoskeleton. Bags of air, after all, are light. When I stumbled on it, I was like, wait a second, this, if this is true, this maps out really, really good. Initially, his biggest challenge was getting anyone to take him seriously. 
people laughed at us. I have this vivid memory of probably a month after I started at, uh, you started at what became Rome is um, going to a conference and standing around a bunch of people who just do this for a living. And I was like, they're like, what are you doing now? You know, I heard you left EXO. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to build inflatable exoskeletons. They all literally broke out into laughing like I was telling them a very funny joke. <laughs> and I had this moment where I'm sitting there watching like professors and, you know, the deans of universities laughing. And I'm going like, am I crazy? Like either I'm crazy or they're crazy. One of the two. Early last winter, Nick met up with Jim to go skiing at Aspen Snowmass Resort, which is close to Jim's home. That's so fun. That's pretty tasty. I, yeah. Nothing wrong with that at all. I feel like I'm really consistent and in control on some lower angle stuff. Yeah. I should sort of set the scene a little bit more because we really had a, a fantastic ski day. I mean, there was probably eight inches of fresh snow at Snowmass in Colorado. Um, this is one of the big resorts up by Aspen. And you know, the storm kind of cleared out in the morning and the sun came out. And so we really had this glorious ski day. Awesome, right, let's, let's do it. It had been around six years since Jim's accident, but now Jim was skiing again and skiing well, thanks to Rome's debut product, the Elevate, a battery powered lower body exoskeleton. It's designed specifically to alleviate stress while skiing with pneumatic air chambers that work a bit like shock absorbers. Yeah, it's probably a little hard to visualize when you're just hearing it. If you can, if you can picture it, it's, on the outside, it looks like a kind of elaborate knee brace. So anybody that- The Elevate cinches around your legs with the bulk of the machinery supporting the knee. An air compressor is housed in a backpack and connects with hose lines, which inflate and deflate air bladders in the brace. So you can imagine as you're going down a ski run, that you're sort of, you know, you're bending your knees and you're sinking into the frame and that air bladder, that air cushion is catching your weight and providing you support. And the reason the compressor is so important is that that the tension or the pressure that the compressor pumps into the, the air bladders is what provides the different levels of support that you would need at different parts of the turn. And it starts to get very sophisticated. I mean, these compressors are run by computer software and that computer software is informed by artificial intelligence. The more so turns you take, the more the AI tunes the system to your specific body and skiing technique. For someone like Jim, who no longer has full control of his lower body, Elevate reopened a door to skiing that he thought had been permanently closed. What'd you guys think? I mean, especially with Elevate, yep. it's just like that kind of like getting lost in the moment flow state right. feeling that's right. pretty, such a good thing to tap into. Yep. He was wearing the Elevate system and he, he seemed like he was doing pretty well. And I, I was thinking, watching him ski, I mean, he was, he was a, a you know, sort of an elite level skier. And, and he, so his form is beautiful. And watching him ski with the Elevate, I, I thought, oh, he's, he's really like come almost all the way back and looks great when he skis. Skiing may seem like an odd proving ground for exoskeleton technology, but the sport has a number of things going for it. With skiing, gravity does most of the work involved with forward movement. So the Elevate can behave more like a spring 
than a motor. Also, skiers are already used to wearing bulky gear, so adding a backpack and braces isn't really that big a deal. And then there's the fact that skiing provides a right market. Not just for athletes overcoming injuries or disabilities, but for the many aging skiers whose legs are no longer up for the pounding of a powder day, or a long mogul run. Or even for a guy like Nick, who's in his 50s, but somehow looks and skis like he's 30. This was not something I could fully appreciate until I spent a day using it. And it was nice to be able to kind of cruise down a run and kind of chopped up leftover powder from the end of the day uh, and really feel like I had this kind of powerful device around my lower body that was going to sort of keep me from catching that edge or, you know, blowing a turn or, you know, smashing into a, a mogul in some way that I, like, tweak something that I don't want to tweak. You know, the skiing market, because it does tend to have a demographic that has a little bit of money, you know, somebody might be willing to spend a few thousand dollars on a piece of equipment if they were lifelong skiers and suddenly felt like they couldn't be out all day and whoa, here's a device that is going to relieve the pain in their knees, reduce fatigue, provide some additional support and basically allow them to get back to skiing the way they did in their youth or in their prime. Uh, and that, that's a very, that was a very new and fresh idea in, in the world of exoskeletons. Trying to make sure you see what you're supposed to see. You wanna, you can go ahead and, and walk if you'd like. Are you on? This looks very similar to the Elevate. That, yeah, and, and this is, and the real objective here has always been is that uh, the goal is to build a platform. A robotic knee brace that dampens a skier's descent may not sound like a yeah, revolution in wearable robotics, but for Rome, it was a way to prove two concepts, that this technology works and that it can be made at a realistic price point. Three of their new projects, all still in development, seek to highlight just how powerful this new class of exoskeleton can be. Here, Tim is having a tech demonstrate a wearable, similar to the Elevate, that creates power to go upstairs. So you can see here, the differences in Elevate though is really what the control is doing. And so, as opposed to Elevate is entirely downhill behavior, is very dynamic. These are a lot slower, a lot more deliberate, um, focusing on putting power into the body when you're going upstairs and um, up ramps or bracing when you're coming down. While the initial market for this specific prototype will be in the medical field, Rome isn't only looking to help people with weakened bodies. The company is also working on a device they call the knees, robotic legs that provide additional support for lifting heavy objects opening up an entire world of possible applications. Um, you can see Linus here is uh, modeling it using a, a fun 90-pound bag. Um, but these particular devices have been used on, um, uh, basically been out on firefighters and on in, uh, in special forces evaluation and in large-scale army evaluation, and so we... But it won't make you run faster. For that, you need some new robotic shoes. But these are things that we've been working with as we've been working with the military. Um, these devices were the first exoskeleton ever that showed metabolic benefit while running. The team calls them the ankles. And if you ever played the old Mega Man video games as a kid, these look just like his boots, 
strapped to the runner's calves and connected via hoses to the backpack air compressor. And we had, you know, an Olympian running in these at 17 miles an hour at 150 beats per minute heart rate, um, which is just crazy. I mean, all of us... Just to save you from doing the quick math, that's a three and a half minute mile, which gets you to a full marathon in just over an hour and a half all while still being able to hold a conversation. Yeah, exactly. You want, you want the New York Times to write an article on something that's cheating? I'll show you cheating. Uh, <laughs> I think to put the Elevate in particular in, into sort of some sort of context, you have to think about how robotics technology is going to change our world. Because really what, what an exoskeleton is, is a wearable robot. Right. So we are seeing in sort of different places robotic technology that's that's beginning to emerge that is clearly, clearly going to be something that is that is going to change the way we live, maybe for the better, hopefully for the better, maybe for worse, most likely in all directions simultaneously. And I think. When you look at something like the Elevate and you try it and you, you spend some time with it and with those who have used it and you approach this thing with a completely open mind, you, you start to see this frontier and you imagine the possibilities that this technology is going to usher in. You know, like I can see a day in our lifetime probably where, you know, some crazy expert skier straps this thing on and skis down K2 or Everest or some other insane thing that you could never dream would be possible. Exoskeleton technology may redefine what it means to be an elite athlete. But while Rome Robotics' Tim Swift also has his eyes on the future of this technology, he's quick to remind us that just getting to still ski with your aging dad is pretty rad too. I think the story that really needs to be told is that the future that people dream about is 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 grand and it's and it's potentially achievable but the present is valuable um that's where i think success lives is uh, people beginning to accept and recognize and understand that there is a short term that is a value that is an iron man when we talk about exoskeletons, it's all super soldiers or someone taking their first steps in years. But maybe that's why the technology hasn't progressed as quickly as we'd hoped it would. What Jim's story and the Rome Elevate suggest is that maybe fun is how we usher in our cyborg future. Yeah, with, with Rome Elevate, I feel like I ski faster. I feel like I'm capable, I'm comfortable skiing steeper runs. It, it, it seems to make a pretty substantial difference in minimizing some of my disability. I'm definitely not a rad skier by any stretch, but like I can cruise down some intermediate runs at moderate speed and feel fairly confident and like I'm not a hazard to myself and others doing that. And, um, and it makes it, it makes it more accessible to like have those kind of long moments we have skiing where it's just really, really immersively fun.
you can read Nick Hiles feature story about the Rome Elevate and Jim Harris's recovery on Outside Online. As Nick reports, in the wake of the pandemic and its impact on the economy and the ski industry, Rome has de-emphasized the Elevate. For now, they're focusing on medical and tactical applications. This episode was produced and written by Robbie Carver, who also composed the music. Editing by Peter Frick Wright and me, Michael Roberts. This episode was brought to you by Belize, one of the world's great adventure destinations and a country that's created a comprehensive and common sense COVID-19 safety system for travelers. Learn more about how you can safely experience the wonder of Belize at TravelBelize.org.